Hello and welcome. I'm Kristen. And this is Chris. And this is another episode of Sometimes Dead is Better. Episode four. Yes. Right? We're going to lose track. Yeah. I know we are. But it's After a where five are we? or so. Right. We're in Birmingham. We are back in Birmingham for those keeping track. I made us move into your closet. I don't know what closet you're referring to. I have a oh, built-in studio. That's right. Yeah. In your new house. Right. And so first, before we get started, what are we drinking? Um, there's your Irish brogue again, by yep, the way. Yep, there it's coming back. Oh, no, I don't even know what that was. That was like a New York. <laughs> so what are we drinking? It's uh, it's um, in honor of this movie, which is a very uh, wine-conscious movie, mm-hmm. much like uh, Jeff Daniels in a throwback episode to Rachnophobia. Right. Um, we're drinking a, a Boca box. No. I say Bada box. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's no C in it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know which way you say it, but I do know that we picked it because in the invitation, they are drinking the finest wine they have, yeah. the most expensive because it's their last night on earth. We are drinking- A, a red wine. Right. That's about as much as we can say for it. It is good, though. I it mean, is good. I don't think it has a classification beyond red wine, does it? I don't think so. Okay. Well, God bless them. But it's a boxed wine, and we're going to drink boxed wine because we're going to live forever. Right. Yeah. So we're not going to be- not out in the Hollywood Hills. Right. Chris, what you been watching? <laughs> um, this week, uh, well, I'll tell you, last night I watched uh, for the first time, this is not a horror movie, but uh, Terms of Endearment, hmm. which I had a free HBO Showtime weekend. Very exciting. Yeah. So I recorded the whole programming <laughs> because I have nothing else to watch, apparently. And Terms of Endearment is a 1983 movie. It's kind of hard to really characterize. It's not really a romantic comedy. It's not really a drama. I guess it's a drama. It has Deborah Winger, Shirley MacLaine, Jack Nicholson. I'm acting like this is like one of the biggest movies of all time. Um, it's very sad. It's a very sad movie. I absolutely cry at the end of it. Um, as, much as, well, as much as I can cry at a movie. Okay. Which means that like I felt emotion. Okay. I, I, I registered something called sadness and thought, oh, this is what humans feel. Uh, it's about a mother and daughter relationship. You would like it. It's very much about you and Jan, I think. Oh. Um, so, and, you know, she's married to Jeff Daniels. Her mom is dating Jack Nicholson. It's just like your story. Right. Um, and it has a very sad ending, which I think just knowing about the movie, you can kind of guess because it's probably been talked about a lot. Um, so that's what I've been watching, uh, other than the Connors. Oh, okay. Which I can give another recap Yeah, on. give us a Connor update. Oh, my God. It was so good. So Becky is pregnant. Okay. So this, uh, and this isn't a spoiler because this is weeks away. away. Um, She's pregnant. She had a one night stand with a waiter at the at the restaurant she works at. But isn't she like my age? Well, no, she's older than she's forty. She's she well, she's forty two. I think you know it gets it gets hard to get pregnant. I'm just well, yeah. Then that's the point. She's been taking drugs and she wanted to get pregnant because she had a surrogate. Mm. Um, But they still made the old jokes that she's just a big slut. Um, and the surrogate was Sarah uh, yeah, Clark, right? Yeah. Well, she's Chalk. not. She's Is it not Clark? Sarah Chalk. Yeah. yeah. She's not on this season yet because she left because right. the pregnancy didn't work out. 
Uh, but it was really good. And then, um, you know, the important thing is that uh, Darlene met a new boyfriend who is Stan from Mad Men. And I'm just really excited about that partnership. Right. So we'll see what happens next on the Connors. Well, good. What, uh, what have you been watching? Oh, thank you. You're so rude. So, so, so I think maybe on the first episode. Of the Connors. <laughs> this is a Connors podcast now. We're going to be recapping all of Roseanne, <laughs> moving into the remake of Roma- Roseanne into the Connors. If, all right. If only. Okay. So what I have been watching. So like I said, I've, in the first episode or so, I mentioned that I had started the first episode of Haunting of Hill House. And I didn't get very far. I, when I first started it, I guess I wasn't really watching it that closely. The production value didn't look great. So I just thought, I don't know if this is going to be good. But then I kept seeing so many things about it. So I went back to it. And boy, is it good. I loved it. So this was actually written and directed by Mike Flanagan. Does that sound familiar? Well, I know he directed a, a big movie I'm a fan of, which is Gerald's Game. That's right. Which is on Netflix. Which you told me to watch. Did you watch it? I watched most of it. Well, that's not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that movie. Did you? All right. So how far into it did you get? Did you get the part where she rips her own flesh off? No. Okay. And you'll love that part. Okay. It's I'm sorry. Not really a spoiler because- I don't remember what was going on. Uh, why I didn't finish it. It's just a, it's a good movie. But, it seemed um, like there was just going to be a bunch of hallucinations and... Yeah, but it just gets crazier and okay. crazier and crazier. And I mean, I just love that movie. But yeah, and that's the that's Stephen King story, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He also wrote and directed the movie Hush. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh, one. that's great. And the, his wife is the actress who plays Theo in The Haunting of Hill House. And she's right. also the star of the movie Hush. I thought you were going to say The Cosby Show. <laughs> Why? Theo. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. And so my brother-in-law actually was texting me and he was like, the haunting of Hill House is so scary. And I was just kind of, I kind of rolled my eyes and I was like, I don't not trust him, but I was just like, I don't know. And then so I started watching it and boy, and then, then I was texting him like, holy shit, the tall ghost, you know, cause it was very scary. And I really loved it. I loved all the actors. I loved the storyline. I know a lot of people weren't happy with the ending. I've heard that already, but I have no, nothing to base it on. I made Amy, my friend Amy came in to town and we started watching it. And she liked it all up until I knew she wouldn't like the ending. But I'm just not really a big, like, the ending ruins everything, you know? Well, I mean, without, I guess, spoiling anything, can you explain why the ending is, I It's know. very Spielbergian, happy Things tie up. Kind of like how the War of the Worlds end and it doesn't really jive with the rest of the movie. Like. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't bother me. I mean, I kind of like the ending of Lost. I mean, the whole last season and the ending is not great, but that's not going to make me just discount right. the rest of the show. So it doesn't really bother me. I mean, it'd be nice if they could figure out the perfect ending, but it seems to be very hard to do. So well, I don't I, take I just it. realized. So is it an ending ending? Like, will there be a part two? Or? Well, apparently... This is the ending with this family, but they are going to do a second season with a new family. Uh, Also, Carla Gugino is in this. She was in Gerald's Game. She's so hot in this. She's so wonderful. She's wearing all these like long, silky robes and dresses and stuff. She's great. I started it over. And then when I started watching it over, like everything fell into place because there's like lots of back and forth. And it's so it's really cool to watch it again. So I started rewatching it 
And I think when my mom comes home with me, I'm going to make her watch it too. Well, I can't wait to see it. I'm waiting on my friend Melissa to watch it with me. I'm not allowed to watch it without her. Mm, that's very nice of you. Yeah. Well, I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, Melissa. I know you're listening. But so the main actor in The Haunting of Hill House is Michael Huseman. How do you say his name? I was going to say Huisman. That can't be right. Well, yeah, I mean, but he's, I mean, he's like Dutch, right? I or? think so. Okay. Um, he was born in Amsterdam. That's Dutch. Yeah. Okay. I would say Huisman, but that's Huisman. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah. But he's he means he plays the oldest brother in the Hunting of Hill House. And of course, he's a uh, Dario in Game of Thrones. Yes, he was the replacement Dario. The replacement Dario. Because the first one just looked like Fabio. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was really he was good in that. Oh, was one more thing about so the Hunting of Hill House is not the same as the House on Haunted Hill which is the old Vincent Price movie, which I used to watch a lot as a kid. And that has nothing to do with the Shirley Jackson book. I don't think so. Okay. I think that's its own thing. Well, it's... you could have fooled me because I thought that was like the same thing. But... And then there's a movie called The Haunting that came out in the 70s, and that is based on Shirley Jackson's novel. Well, there's another one with like Liam Neeson from like the 90s, I think. Okay. Um, but... Well, I know that Mike Flanagan referenced The Haunting movie as an influence. I don't, he didn't mention the other one, so I don't know. Well, I think the other one's supposed to be really bad, so oh, okay. he probably wouldn't. And then I'm not sure how much of the book is based on, or how much of the TV show is based on the book. I bought the book and I started it, and so the first, the opening lines are the same as the TV show. Well, seems Michael like Huseman is reading them. He's the author of the book in the TV show, so it's kind of cool. And, and they did not hold back on the ghosts. Like some... Movies or shows, they try to make it opening doors and creepy things for a while, but they're just like, nope, it's a ghost. Here you go. It was really scary. Well, I'm just looking on Twitter. I've heard there's ghosts like in every scene, yes. like even like in the corners of the frame. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yes. They really thought a lot about it. Because again, when you go back and watch it, everything starts to fall into place because there are so many little things that they thought ahead on. So it's really good. there. Kristen here. Thank you so much for listening. We want to invite you to come join our Facebook group. Sometimes groups are better. There are a lot of cool people in there. We talk about the movies Chris and I review, new horror movies coming out, true crime, pop culture. It's really fun. We would also be so grateful if you would go on iTunes and subscribe and rate and review or subscribe on whatever podcasting app you use. It really helps us to be seen by more awesome people like you. And we want to continue to build this great community. Also, follow us on Instagram at Sometimes Dead Podcasts. We'll post pictures of the drinks we're drinking or pictures of the true crimes we're doing. While you're there, follow Gabby Watts, who does our amazing theme song. Follow her band at Gabby Rots, G-A-B-B-I-E-R-O-T-T-S. And remember, sometimes dead is better. Michael Hisman. Yes, Who he's the main star of our movie that we're talking about today. Yes, which is The Invitation. Yes. Directed by Karen Kusama. Do you think that's right? Yes. Yeah. And so we have another female director. 
She wrote and directed Girl Fright in right. 2000. You remember that movie? I, I, I know the movie, and I know, obviously, Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. I've not seen it. I, I remember it coming out. Yeah. It was a big deal. I just yeah. haven't seen it. And that, Sorry. <laughs> Anna Lucia herself. Oh, yeah. I love her. She's so good. Yeah. And then she also directed Jennifer's Body. Yeah, and so I know Jennifer's Body. Uh, and apparently that's considered like a bad movie. I love it. Yeah. I remember we probably watched it together. Um, I don't know. But I, I remember I don't remember much about it, but I remember enjoying it. That was one of the movies. That... I kind of get confused with Teeth. Do you remember Teeth? Yes. That yeah. was good, too. That one sticks out more than <laughs> for some reason. Yes. <laughs> but uh, who directed Teeth? I wonder. That's a good question. Yeah. Who was where's, in Teeth? Was that Amanda? Producer? No, Amanda Seyfried was in uh, Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's okay. Body. Okay. Well, we'll have to investigate Teeth at some point. Yes. But so, but also, I do understand that Jennifer's Body um, has has had a bit of a critical sort of reevaluation. Really? Yeah. Which is the, that's like the only reason I knew it was considered bad is because now it's considered good. Like The Shining, for instance. See, people didn't like The Shining when it came out. Right. I do remember enjoying it. You know, Megan Fox, she was great. She was really good in it. Yeah. I loved it. And I, that was one of the movies that I told my brother to watch that he hated and he, and he got mad at me. But the, another movie that I told him to watch, he usually trusts me, but every once in a while, apparently I steer him wrong. I made him, I told him to watch that movie Bug, remember? Yeah. And we loved that movie, right? Yeah, yeah. With Michael Shannon. It was directed by the exorcist guy, I, th- I think. Well, who's yeah. the woman? Oh, I don't know. Oh, Judd. Oh, Ashley, Ashley, Judd. Ashley Judd. Yeah. Told him to watch that, and he watched it with his friend. And I think his friend turned to him and said, "Does your sister hate you?" <laughs> because they hated it. I, I can understand that more than hating Chamfer's body. I didn't. So, I well, do, so what is Karen Kusama well, that's doing lately? I, I think after I think after Chamfer's body, which I, I mean, looking back, it looks like she got kind of a bad response to, or you know, either way, mm-hmm. it wasn't a big hit. I don't think she did much after that. But this is sort of her, you know, her return and, you know, especially her return to like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Although I guess you could argue it's, you know, you could almost label it like maybe a satire and it it would fit comfortably in that category as well. Or, you know, a thriller. I don't know. The ending is pretty much like yeah, horror I mean, house. But if you define by a movie by its ending, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it's a horror movie for sure. But. <laughs> So we'll just take the rest of that. You're rambling. There's out. a whole hour and five minutes, roughly, where nothing. Yeah, it is very. You're right. It's it all a more tense psychological thriller. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Although, really, you know, you're, it's only tense because you don't really know where the movie's going. It could that movie could easily lead to no bloodshed or right. horror whatsoever, and you, it would the first hour or so would work just as well. And so the lead character is Logan Marshall Green, who is an actor that I always think I recognize from things and then I look him up and I don't know anything so I'm, I think it's because he looks just like Tom Hardy to me yeah he does look like Tom well, he Hardy he looks very similar yeah. and I hate to say that about him because you know that's not his fault but he sure does look like Tom Hardy yeah um, apparently he's been on 24 I don't know and I've seen a lot of 24 shows but I'm not sure who he played if only we know. could look it up somehow um, <laughs> and uh, he's been in, he's been in quite a few things lately the only thing I remember him from is Spider-Man Homecoming Right, you were telling me about this. Yes, and, and so he was one of the bad guys, one of the henchmen. He got disintegrated. It doesn't matter. He's not in the movie anymore. He's. Ve- I think he's very good in this. He, he is. He's very. Uh, he's a very soulful stare. He does. But so it starts out with him and his girlfriend, Kira. Kira. And her, the actress's name, which I'm not going to be able to say it right. Yeah, I looked it up. I can't. It's, a, it's a beautiful it. name, and yeah. I don't even want to try and say it because I'm just going to butcher it. But she's great too. Um, and they're driving to a party, and they have a literal invitation, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. They have an invitation, yeah. And it says that they're um, 
Going to David and Eden's. Yeah, and she doesn't seem uh, thrilled about it. And I guess we learn why. He's going to a party held by his ex-wife. Right. And uh, we just kind of know it's, you know, California. We don't quite know what the whole... We just know it's a dinner party. Well, he mentions her meeting someone at a grief counseling. And I was like, oh, shit, I forgot. There's a dead kid in this. There sure is. Another dead kid. And hell. (laughs) (laughs) But so um, I thought we would maybe pause on this first scene because it's notable. And it also seems like a new, to me, a a new sort of uh, trope. Okay. Maybe there's two movies I've seen this in. So the first scene essentially is, uh, you know, they're driving to the party and they hit a, is it a, it's a coyote, right? Yes. They strike an animal. It kind of comes out of nowhere. You know, it's one of those scenes where they're talking and, you know, there's like a lot of shows and movies where it's a couple talking and then they get sideswiped by a car. All the time. Uh, well, now there's a new trope where there's a couple talking and they hit an animal. And so I've seen this in, uh, well, this movie that we're talking about. Okay. Happens in Get Out. Yes. In a very similar scene, I think. Yeah. They hit a deer. Yeah. Um, I feel like something similar happens in Gerald's game. Maybe they just see an animal. Um, but it's always like this in, in, intro scene establishing usually the main couple. Mm-hmm. And they kill an animal. <laughs> and usually it seems to be placed there so that it says something about the reaction to right. killing the animal. Right. So get out is like a whole other mess, which we'll get into. And I want to say mess, I mean, in the best possible way. Just right. a lot of ideas student about you're referring to your brain right right get out is a perfect movie yes <laughs> let's, let's establish that but you're just you have so much going on in your brain about that movie it's just a mess right right that's how um, i imagine it so and, but here we have a, and, and so the invitation came up before get out um and it's also a very similarly kind of stylized movie and the idea of like, it's kind of you I mean they're, they're both kind of realistic in a way like mm-hmm. there's nothing terribly supernatural about either of them you just kind of buy into these things that happen but so they kill the coyote. The reaction we have here is that it's uh, the girlfriend is to stay in the car, although she doesn't. And it's his job to dispatch the coyote with a like a crowbar. I tire suppose. iron. Tire iron. Yeah. What's the difference? Well, a tire iron is used on tires, and a crowbar can be crows. used on <laughs> crows. <laughs> so he, you know, he kills the uh, coyote with the uh, the tire iron, uh-huh. and she watches. Right. She seems, you know, fine with it. Could you do that? Well, that's. I think that's two things. I think you're supposed to wonder that. Could I do that? That's kind of one of those scenes. Right. I think. Uh, I think I would just speed on past it, honestly. You know, because I'd be like, that didn't happen at all. Right. Um, no or maybe the, just hold its mouth closed and its nose. Or if some chloroform. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, it does worry me because now I live out. I mean, you see where I live. Yeah. It's more woodsy. Mm-hmm. And I've seen deer everywhere. I've seen bobcat. <laughs> you seen a bobcat? Well, there's supposedly one in my neighborhood. I haven't seen it. I've seen it on like Facebook. Well, I don't have Facebook, but next door is what it's right. called. It's like an app. And it's supposedly like in my backyard. I don't know, but um, it's in the neighborhood. We have coyotes. Yeah, we have coyotes too. Yeah, they were at the entrance. Anyway, so I they think- They were about- so, like welcoming us? <laughs> Not today. Oh. Um, but you know that circle at the entrance? Yeah. That's where they were seen. Yeah. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think about that a lot. And um, so, but I, but I wonder, like, what is this trope? Like, where did this come from? Because. See, I, I, I thought it was some kind of foreshadowing that I didn't get. I don't know why. I thought there were, I knew there was something more to it that I was supposed to be getting, but I didn't. So that's, that's why of, I, I'm relying on yeah, you. Yeah. Well, that's kind of my exact thought. And, you know, like, what are we to do that? And I thought the same thing, honestly, in Get Out. It seems like kind of go nowhere. 
because that you know because you know that someone wrote that and that exists in the movie for a reason obviously that's not the case so in my mind it has a little bit to do with the death of his son not to get too far into it who you know dies by a baseball bat right i didn't even think about that well i mean that's super dark um but you know there's a reason maybe he's very upset when he gets the party right other than the fact that he's (laughs) going to his ex-wife's house and his kid died there but to just compound it oh i just he just killed a creature with a bat type yeah and maybe the the implement's not as important but certainly that's a bit on his mind yes um but also, I guess it kind of shows that, you know, he's willing to confront his demons a little bit. He's willing to, you know, beat down what's in front of him. I don't know. It's hard for me to really pin down what else is going on in that scene. But that's kind of what I, after watching it twice, kind of came to. Okay. I did. I will admit I cheated and I Googled like what people, what other people thought of that. <gasps> no one else thinks that. Okay. So I feel comfortable in doing my thing and just, you know, explicating on that scene. Okay. Most people seem to think it just has to do with, like, some sort of general foreshadowing of right. violence to come. But I don't know. See, that's a dumb thought I would have had. <laughs> I couldn't think of what it was. I knew it was something. And then later, I mean, when he gets to the party, he still has the coyote's blood on his face. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I mean, I guess it's a fun icebreaker, too, when they get to the party. That would totally be, be me. Yeah. Like, she doesn't know anybody there. She gets to the party and everyone's kind of, there's a little quiet conversation. And I'd be like, Brian, Brian killed a coyote on the way down here. But like, anyway. Can we at least admit that this is like a new kind of trope? Like, yes, I definitely, okay. it definitely sounds very familiar. Yeah. I mean, certainly get out. Yes. And I feel like I've seen other things too. I think if I thought about it, yeah. I, th- I could think of some more too. So listeners, tell us where else you've seen this before, because it sounds very familiar. And so they were having a dinner party, which immediately just makes me think of, the office and the famous episode of the dinner party and it really made me want to just go watch that again right i think half the anxiety of this movie is just the idea of hosting a dinner yes. party <laughs> i mean we do we had parties right we never had like a dinner party well i feel like you and amy had dinner parties back- well, we had like we had the godfather party yeah the bob dylan party the Godfather party was the best. They like were, we yeah, had y'all dinner. We had the little squirt guns filled with wine. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> well, a, we had lots of food and drinks. Yeah. Amy's a very good hostess though. That was mostly her. I but can like never, me I can and never you. pull that off. You know? Yeah. I I think together we could, but I don't feel like it'd be anything I would be comfortable just having people over. Like I may I can maybe have you over. Right. And maybe cook dinner. I, I don't think I could even do that, honestly, because I'd be too worried I about it. I made you dinner the other night. Yeah, but you you can cook. Oh. <laughs> So let, I guess we should talk about who these people are at this party. Will? Yeah. Who's Logan Marshall Green, yeah, right? Will's the main character who, you know, coyote killer. Um, he and he used to be married. Okay, so Will is dating, I guess we should say, Kira. Right. Who we just met. They seem like a good couple. Will kind of has long, he looks like somebody like that's in the arcade fire, honestly. Yeah. That's just his look. Yeah. Um, well, they are in Hollywood. We literally see the Hollywood sign. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did I use literally right? I don't know. Do we have to actually be there? We won't use literally at all. This still seems unnecessary. Okay. But, uh, so we see the Hollywood sign. I mean, we did literally see Through it. the Hollywood yeah. Hills. Yeah. They're driving through the Hollywood Hills. And one thing that bothered me is they get to Eden's house and she's like, whoa, you lived here? And he says, oh, Eden comes from money. It's like, why couldn't they have said Eden? Just independently has money? Yes. Like maybe she's a producer over at Paramount. The only thing I think is that you look at him, and again, he looks like a guy from the Arcade Fire, but right. maybe a band that didn't make it. 
I see what you're saying. It still seems kind of They wouldn't sexist. do that if it if it was a wife going to. Right. Yeah. That makes anyway. Sense. I, have you ever been to like LA and driven around? No. Okay. Let me bring it up. Oh, it's so much fun. So when we went, we've been a couple times for uh, football games. And one time my brother and I got a star map and we drove around the Hollywood Hills. It was so much fun. That does sound fun. And we saw Sharon Stone and my brother waved at her like, like real eagerly. And so she just kind of went, raised her hand up kind of slowly. Was there and, an ice pick in it? <laughs> yes. And, she, and then she showed us her vagina. Did I, did I tell you I watched Basic Instinct last week? Oh, did you? That's what I meant to talk about. Oh. Oh, my God. Um, well, we can't get into it. We'll save it for another episode. Okay. That is the best movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Neither did I, but uh, it's Paul Verhoeven, who directed Robocop. Right. Starship Troopers. <laughs> I like how you're always like, we'll get into it. We won't talk about it later. But let me tell you about it. <laughs> I, I would just, it was, it's such a good movie. There's so much to talk about. And really, we should have a Basic Instinct podcast, too. Okay. Sharon Stone, you're right. I, I, can't, I can't get into it. She is so good in that movie, though. Like, it's one of those things where, like, like, you know who Sharon Stone is, mm-hmm. but that's how she became Sharon Stone. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, yes. It's like, watching... like, I was wondering about the lore of Barbara Streisand and how she was such a big deal. Yeah. And I then I watched Hello, Dolly. And oh, I was like, okay. oh, oh, my gosh, I get it. I guess, yeah, I've always kind of wondered that, too, because I don't think I've ever seen. I mean, I've seen The Prince of Tides. Well, watch Hello, Dolly. What about, like, Funny Girl? Isn't she? Well, I bought that for Elise for her birthday. We haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. Well, basic instinct, you can show Elise okay. also. <laughs> It's a crazy movie. Okay, anyway. All right, anyway. So we get to the house, and then we see a flashback of his son playing dinosaurs, which I have a son, and my son loves dinosaurs. So I didn't like that. <laughs> Nothing reminds me. Well, yeah, I can see why you wouldn't like that. But we'll get to the son But later. do we know? We don't know it's his son at first, do we? Like, Well, I think you kind of put it together. Okay. There's clearly not really a kid there. And I think the scene, like when he looks into the... Well, see, that's the thing. It's in the daylight, you, you, I think. When we watched it a few nights ago, you're like, well, there's the ghost kid. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, just, I just thought it was a kid running around. Well, because they mention the grief, and you kind of think, okay, something happened, and then he gets there and he looks over. That's quite a leap, though. But when you look over, I think it's like sunlight coming uh, in. So you yeah, can kind of yeah. tell it's like different. Kind of like when he goes into his son's bedroom later. Yeah. And it's completely... <laughs> Chris just threw his notebook at me. I don't have a notebook. Oh, right. Okay, so who, who else is at this party? We, we're going to, down the list of the characters. So far, we've gotten to the main two. <laughs> Will. And, and Kira. Uh, yeah, we, and we don't really know what Kira does. Does I mean, she's kind of just the girlfriend in a way. Yeah. I mean, she seems really smart. And, and, uh, yeah. They could have done more with her. But, yes. You know, well, I don't know. She's pretty cool at the end. She's pretty badass. Yeah, but, you know. it. Then again, she'd probably be like, I'm out of here. She doesn't even know these people. Right, right. But anyway, her, I guess her, she loves her, him. Her heroism is kind of through him in a way. Like, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's his movie, so whatever. So I don't know if we should start with Eden. Well, let's, okay, let's start with David we... first. No, let's start with Eden. So Eden comes down the stairs yeah. all majestically, and she yeah. looks kind of like, she's dressed kind of like uh, Carla Gugino. She reminds me of Liv Tyler. She looks like Liv Tyler, but she like just because I've been watching The Haunting of Hill House so much, Carla Gugino is always wearing these long, beautiful dresses with just her beautiful butt. I could never wear something like that. It's gorgeous. <laughs> and um, so she comes down kind of ethereal. How, how do you yeah. say it? Ethereally. Ethereally. Yeah. I certainly and, can't say it. But And so Kira is probably having a blast at this point. Oh, yeah. So here's my ex-wife, and she looks, you know, she's gorgeous. She's like kind of instantly annoying in a sort of... 
Is that sexist? I mean, she's she. I mean, she obviously is. Well, no. David has the same personality. He right. kind of comes in. He's a little too personal. Date. So David is Michael Huseman. Yeah. Huseman. David is Eden's new husband or boyfriend. I think David? boyfriend. Boyfriend. Okay. I don't know if they say they're married. Um, you know, they're not into boundaries. I guess right. we'll say. <laughs> well, um, why would you? You got one more day on Earth. Let's give her right, a hug. Right. But at the same time, there's this. You know, it seems like a bit of a critique on this sort of new agey kind of. Not even new agey, I guess, but sort of um, super open kind of L.A. sort of couple. But so the first thing I read about um, Eden and not having seen the movie in a while, and this is incorrect, I'll mind you, was I wrote, oh, she's sort of the manic pixie dream girl. Oh, you heard about this? Yes. Trope? Okay. Which is now, you know, it sort of goes back to Natalie Portman and Garden State and maybe- Which Kurt- I still love Garden State. Absolutely. But okay. Natalie Portman has actually disowned that archetype now. Did okay. you read the new Vanity Fair interview with her? No, I haven't yet. It's really good. Um, she talks about that. She says, I regret playing the manic pixie dream girl. She didn't mention Garden State, mm. but she mentions she hated, she regrets contributing to that. Well, yeah, that's definitely. Negative archetype. Yeah. So anyway, when she comes down the stairs and starts sort of talking, I thought, okay, this is who that character is, um, which isn't true, but it's sort of an interesting opening kind of gambit for introducing her i think because i think that's sort of the initial idea like oh she's kind of be kind of flighty sort of hard to pin down i mean let's talk about david like who is he he's a producer right well he was a record producer a record producer yeah um he's you know good looking he has a beard he looks kind of like a mirror inverse of um will in a way will Mm -hmm. has a bigger beard that's true but they have a very similar haircut uh but yeah he seems you know sort of Self-absorbed, um, very kind of confident. Um, well, at one point, he's talking to everybody from his balcony above. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, who does that? Who has a balcony anyway? I want one, though. He is very handsome. I guess he could be charming to some people. To me, he just seemed just pretentious. But Yeah. But he had a really nice wine. Yeah, well, so. it seems like anytime anyone's going to room, he's like opening a bottle of wine and showing it to them. Right. <laughs> And then so there is some couples there. There are some couples there. There's yeah, so Will. Who are the two couples? There's and Kira. Right. And then there's Eden and David. And there's then there's Tommy and Miguel. Yes. And Tommy and Miguel are obviously the gay couple. Right. Who I have thoughts on, but I kind of go back and forth on it. Okay. The representation of these this gay couple. I've decided I'm okay with it. Okay. However, they are kind of a little bit of the stereotypical just sort of gay couple just scenery gay scenery in a way do you think that's part of the idea of hollywood though probably okay like i I think i think they're making a choice there but you know they're playing up to their roles at this dinner party like oh this sort of whimsical gay couple that you know oh they're so fun and you know right they they call you gorgeous yeah they take nothing seriously that turns out you know later they obviously take things very seriously right um but I did have a little – there's a certain scene that kind of bugged me where David, you know, approaches Will during the whole – sort of the midpoint of the movie where Will is obviously very upset. And David seems to be sort of just for discounting everything. Like, oh, let's just have fun and, you know. Tommy is more like the cute kind of happy guy and then – He's the Abercrombie guy, yeah. Yeah, and then Miguel, I guess it – seems like he's a doctor because later they he asked him about the pill and yeah. he kind of jumps on the people when yeah he's bad a things doctor happen. or a nurse right? they don't know if he ever say but there's also ben who's by right. himself it's like a kind of a chubby guy yeah a loner 
Um, well, I, he, says, he mentions he has a wife and kids. But. Yeah, and I think actually, I, I not to give it away, but I did you know do a lot of googling, <laughs> and I think his wife was supposed to be in the movie, and oh. something happened. I, I forget what, but there was actually a part for her, and he wasn't supposed to be by himself. Apparently, it was supposed to be all couples. And there's Claire, but Claire's by herself too. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And Claire so, uh, is seems to be some sort of professor. She's got tenure. Yeah, I think she's easily our favorite as far yes. as the sort of stragglers go. Yes. Um, and then, um, I mean, I don't know if it counts really, but there's also Pruitt. Right. I mean, he shows up later. Um, he's the, clearly the Zodiac killer. <laughs> exactly. Or Twisty the Clown. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So even though he played like the most genuine character in Fargo, he's like so sweet in that he's just completely destroyed that. I mean, by playing uh, Arthur Lee Allen. Is that Zodiac? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I would, you know. And Twisty the Clown. Anytime he shows up. He was also in Drew Carey Show. Do you remember? No, I forgot he was Twisty the Clown, though. He was in Drew Carey Show. He was Drew's brother. And he was like a cross-dresser. I bet that that stuff, I haven't seen that show in a long time. But there's no way that that, that probably dates well. Yeah. Honestly, I never watched that show. But, oh, yeah. I loved that show. So, and then the last character is Troy. Who no, shows we forgot up. about Sadie. Oh, Sadie, yeah. Okay, so Sadie is has a actual Manson family yeah. name. Sexy Sadie. And she plays that character very well. She should definitely, she should be in the new Tarantino movie as yeah, a Manson girl. Yeah. Because she is very good. First time we see her, she's got no pants on. Yeah, I, I had trouble registering that. Uh, is, this the, is that just the lighting? like that? I think she's got no pants yeah, on. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, so she is, you know, just kind of unbridled sex right she plays um a friend of the main couple not not will but the friend of uh david and eden and i guess we learn later that you know she's just part of their kind of newfound let's just call it a cult <laughs> well they call it that later yeah and they're very clear about that they even mention i mean one of them says it's mansonian Right, right. So they're very yeah. they're not trying to hide anything right. or try to make it seem like they don't know what we're talking about. I guess as far as the movie goes, you know, one of the mysteries is that, okay, is there really a cult here or is it something more innocent? Um, so I guess we kind of gave that away. But then again, this is a horror podcast. So. And then so the last person that's supposed to show up is... It's Troy. Oh, we forgot about Gina. Gina. Oh, Gina. Yeah, we like Gina. Yeah, Gina's great. Yeah. So she's the one who's waiting on her boyfriend. Troy. Troy. Okay, yeah. Gina's great. I don't know exactly what she does. She seems like really fun. Yeah, I'm not sure they say. I guess we don't always have to know people's jobs. No, but I guess we should probably go back through and decide who we would invite to a party and who we wouldn't. Right. I don't think I'd be keen on Sadie. I mean, no. she'd be fun for like five minutes. Yes. I feel like she would show up. She would talk to everybody. Yes. She would piss off half of them she would bring like drugs yeah like that weren't fun right she'd have all these stories she'd want to hug everybody exactly yeah no um, she has that whole i love you speech yes which you know i think that that's one of the funny things about the movie is that everyone has seen that speech at some party <laughs> right somewhere or another i don't know if i would have eden at the party no i don't know i i would just have, look at her yeah i mean she's very beautiful she she might make it in, yeah. She's getting glasses for people, making the food. I'd invite her. Right. I would definitely have Claire. Yes, for you know, sure. She just seems like kind of my best friend anyway. Yep. Um, I guess I'd have Will, although he seems like a bit of a sad sack. But I would know, okay, his child died. He needs to come to the party. No. 
You don't, you want to have Will? Well, let's invite Roger from Brent too. <laughs> All right. Right. Well, he he'd write us a song. Right. I would invite Will. Is that so wrong? No. Okay. Well, I clearly invite Kira. Yes. Maybe I invite Kira, and she would just bring Will, and yes. I'd be like, "Fine, bring right. Will." Yes. Your sad ass boyfriend. I guess the big, um, yeah, we and obviously we invite Tam, Tommy and Miguel because they're the fun gay couple. Right. And Troy because he shows up later and he's yeah. fun. I and mean, no one knows who he is really. Right. Um, I guess the outliers, we, we invite um, David, Michael Hisman. He's got the good wine. But he seems like he seems like a huge ass. I, mean, I couldn't do it. Yeah. No. He'd lecture you about things. Show you videos. Yeah. Well, yeah, so let's just talk about the two, the few things that happen. So the first thing that happens is they show the video. Right. And I, I think we should maybe just you know, discuss, this is like the worst party just from the get-go. Yes. I mean, before they even show the video, well, Kira has an ice, as an icebreaker just to launch his party. Right. Hey, we sure did kill an animal on the way here. Right. And Will killed it with his bare hands. Right. It's not a good party. No. So then they show the video of the woman dying. David and Eden, the you know the cult couple, pull out a laptop and say, "Hey, does anyone want to see a video?" And it's a video of their cult friends in Mexico, right? Watching a woman die or letting a woman die, and you know, as part of their cult beliefs, they are not offering her no help, and I guess she's absorbed into the the cult or yes. the something weird going on either way it's like watching faces of death i mean they're right. watching a person die on screen uh they're all unprepared no one really seems to be into it <laughs> will keep scratching his beard <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that reminds me of is we were at a party one time and uh i remember like a couple of guys we work with were upstairs watching like 9-11 truther videos <laughs> oh my gosh and you can just hear them upstairs and saying you see like you know no buildings should fall down that way without dynamite. And I remember one of our other friends coming down saying, they're all idiots. Okay. <laughs> it, it just reminded me of like, you know, things you don't do at a party. You don't right. like show people dying. And you don't come out with 9-11 truth or videos. Right. I, I could never watch anything like that. I had a boyfriend in high school who always wanted to watch those faces of death. I, yeah. I, my friend in high school made me watch one and I was so mad. And yeah. also, you know, to this day, I'm not convinced it's really real. But if it is, you know, holy moly, like, how is that a thing? There's snuff videos. Yeah. There's no way that's real. You can't rent that at a video store. We rented that at a video store. Oh, yeah. There's no way it's real. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. So, yes, that's a bad party trick. <laughs> yeah. And then after that. I do, I do like Will's reaction, which is sort of very passive aggressive. Like, yeah. It's like, that doesn't seem like something you would uh, maybe show your friends at a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's scratching his beard. Yeah. Not really calling him like out, but just sort of observing. Right. Uh, and meanwhile, um, Claire is like, I'm out. Uh, well, she's almost out. Almost out. She, um, That's she's, the first she's red flag. Very, yeah, she's very uncomfortable. Does she say anything at this point? Or, yeah. I think she's upset. Yeah. She's like, I don't know why you show that to us. Yeah. You know, something like that. Well, it's, it's, it's Gina that says, did we just watch right. it? Okay. So she's at least uh, conscious of it. Will was straight out like, you know. I'm invested in this mystery. Right. Uh, and Kara seems sweet about it, too. I don't know if she's just giving them more the benefit of the doubt because she doesn't know them. I don't know. Yeah, Kara wants to – well, Kara, her her role to me is trying to smooth things out between her uh, will and his ex-girlfriend. Like anything right. to make that sort of – because maybe she thinks, okay, this girl's going to be in her life. 
So every time we interact, I have to be like sort of the good girlfriend. That's right. kind of that's how I see everything she does in the movie up till the end. <laughs> well, so we see like little weird things happening. Well, they have all the doors locked. There's bars in the windows. The doors are locked. At some point, uh, Dario Naharis tells Will that they were chosen. So you're already getting like these weird vibes. There's the Mansonian comment. There's Sadie. Yeah. So I guess we should explain that. And, you know, they're a part of a group or the name of the group is oh, so called what? The Invitation. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That's the name of The Invitation. And they right. got a literal invitation too. Yeah. I said literal again. But so uh, Dario Naharis tells Will that they chose him. And I guess he's he's assuming that means we chose you to come to our party, but really it means they chose him for the, you know, what's going to happen later. Right. What happens is they start playing that game. Yeah, and this is right around the same time as, the, you know, the friggin' Zodiac Killer shows up. I mean, yes. it wasn't at the beginning of the movie. So, that would be when I was yeah, out. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, love you. Yeah. <laughs> he just registers these days on screen as creepy and serial killer, nothing yes. else. yes. Which I feel bad for, but I mean, he I does think it. He, I think he's fine. He does it very well. Yes. Um, so he is playing a guy named Pruitt. He is just a kind of a vague friend of theirs. You know, no one's quite sure why he's at the party. I think, you know, Will at some point just says, who are you? Yeah. And it doesn't really give a very convincing answer. But he's kind of out of this group from Mexico, part of the invitation. And um, he's kind of the second. Well, I guess he's probably the biggest red flag as far as. You know, the, you know, something's going on here because Troy's still not shown up. Where's Troy? Right. Where but then Troy? they call him at some point. They call him the most unreliable Korean <laughs> in L.A. I think well, is what they Gina say. Does Gina say that? Because if Gina no, Will's. Uh, I mean, what the one of the gay guys says it. Tommy. Uh, well, the gay guys can say that. Okay. But so, um, so then they start playing the game that I want, yeah. which is apparently based on. I've never, only just not fun. Yeah, like never have I ever. Never have I ever, yeah. 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 And so they start playing that, and it starts out silly, and Gina says, I want some Coke. When that game started, I did kind of get excited, because I thought, but this is going to be fun. You know, what's going to come out now? A couple and of, then you get to the Zodiac yes. <laughs> He is so good in that scene, and he talks about how he accidentally killed his wife. Yeah, but first of all, we get, what's her name? Oh, Sadie. With her I love you all right. bullshit, which is more, you know, I think half of them are almost out at that point. <laughs> um, because what what is your point? I, oh, I just want you to know that I love you. Yes. She doesn't know any of them. I know. It's she, awful. She's just that type. Yes. But then we do get to uh, John Carroll Lynch, Pruitt. So what was his I want? <laughs> Nothing. He's just a crazy person. Like he just, I mean, I guess maybe he just wanted them to know. I don't know. But then that is the point when Claire is like, you know what? I'm out. Yeah. Fuck this. Which is, I mean, I think yeah. I would have been out after the the death video, but I also could see myself trying to be polite. But after that, I think. Yeah. I, but see, I think that's kind of one of the sort of satirical themes of this movie is this whole idea of like everyone trying to be super accommodating to one another. And, right. And, you know, this sort of passive aggressive culture we live in. We're like, hey, everybody, everything's okay. Oh, oh, you murdered your wife? Let's try and rationalize that somehow. Right. When Let's really, talk about maybe it. you just murdered your wife. There's nothing much more to say about it. Right. I guess he served his time. Right. But you don't bring it up at a party. Right. Or yeah. bring this man around people if you don't. Anyway. But so then Claire tries to leave and Pruitt says, like, he's parked behind her and he gets all upset, like, ah, oh, parked behind you. So it seems like he's upset about it, but really there seems to be a plan there. And then you see... Him 
obviously kill her. <laughs> I mean, she said, he, wait, wait, wait. Why? Wait, Claire. And she stops. Drive. Drive. The Zodiac Killer comes up to your car. You drive. Yeah. I mean, we don't see her die. So in my mind, she um, she lives and she's you know just happily ever after. However, I will say, and this isn't, I don't know if you call this a spoiler or just a devastating truth that you don't want to know. But there's a deleted scene where they show her being murdered. No way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They show her like, and they, they, they meant to like show it later, like sort of like when they show the final kind of violence. Uh-huh. There was this idea that they would show her like a interspersed somehow, like split screen imagery of her being murdered and like she's in the bush or just her body. Oh my gosh. Bushes. Yeah. They cut it out. Why? I don't know. Man. I guess they like the a- ambiguity. Yeah. Better. I mean, that is good. But you kind of assume and then... Zodiac Killer down there for a while. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what he's up to. We all remember the night of July 11th, 2014, and how the terrifying events slowly unfolded. We remember the horror of the invitation cult and how it left the world reeling. How could this have gone unnoticed? How did nobody stop it? These questions will be addressed in my new investigative podcast. This is all making me feel a little uncomfortable. And I'm your host, Vicarage Swallowtail. I will dive into the events of one house in particular, that even though it had survivors, it left Los Angeles with a lot more questions than answers. Join me as I time the same drives that happened that night for no real reason. So he would have been driving around the, this bend. See, so you can literally see the Hollywood sign. And then he would have hit the coyote and pull over right here. He would have hit it at approximately 6.58 p.m. Then he maybe took about seven minutes to kill the coyote. So one, two wax, then back on the road. Twelve more minutes it should take to get to Eden's house. He should have arrived at Eden's house at 6.38. No, wait, that math is not right. And also, I talked to survivors that really aren't ready to talk about things yet, but I need to make a podcast, you know? So then what happened, Kara? I I took the wine bottle and I just I just hit him until I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just can't. I just, it's okay. Take your time. I, just, I have to do an ad for a mattress anyway right now. I can't wait for you to go on this ride with me. This is all making me feel very uncomfortable. Available on all your favorite podcasting apps. Remember, I'm your host. Vicarage Swallowtail. So then they all go up to have their dinner, and that's when uh, we get uh, the flashback of... Okay, so this is where I get upset. Not upset, but just like... So we see the flashbacks to his son's birthday party. The birthday candle says five. 
We assume it's his son's birthday party because right. it's at their house. He's t- grilling burgers. All their friends are there. At Will's house. Yes. Okay. So we're assuming it's his son's birthday and he's turning five. But in another flashback, we see the kid walk in. And I believe, what did you say? He's pubescent. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, my son just turned five. He's small. He's tiny, isn't he? Yeah, and this may be, you know, I'm bad about telling kids his ages because I don't have kids. But I looked up the actor, and in 2014, when the movie was filmed, he was fucking nine years old. (laughs) So it really distracted me because it's like, so this kid's supposed to be just turning. So he should have been four in that scene because he just, he died on his fifth birthday. I just like the idea that maybe the screenwriter or the director don't know kids either. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> right. he's, he's five. Because right. I do that all the time. Like, That's true. Like on this podcast, how old is Ellie? Five. I don't know. Yeah, I bet uh, they're going to, I bet they were just like, who, no one's going to notice this. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't notice it until he brought it up either. And then apparently he gets hit in the head with a baseball bat, which again, that would make more sense if he was five. But a nine year old getting hit at the baseball bat is a lot different than a four-year-old so that yeah. just bothered me it's just like and then again is this, was that really it's a weird way to die it was it like a wiffle bat <laughs> it's like a metal baseball bat uh, yeah, because okay. later he says like he shouldn't have given the bat to the kid but um which, yeah. which, I, which could i mean crazy freak accidents happen all the time which also kind of if it if they had shown him younger i think it would have affected me more because those accidents do happen kind of like i mean in real life but then like in when they happen like that in movies like if it, the kid dies of like cancer it's still very sad, but it's like, you know what happened. But like in Gravity, when Sandra Bullock talks about her daughter, I don't know if you remember, she dies when she's four from just like falling at school. I don't remember that at all. And hitting her head wrong. And when me and Brian went to go see that, Elise was four. It ki- We cried and cried in the movie theater. Anyway. Yeah, so he's brooding this whole time you know so he, he you know let's the context is he's at his ex-wife's house where his son i guess is the house where his son died right is where he is where he used to live his wife is being very weird he's like you know what is she he just killed a coyote yeah he hasn't seen it for two years yep all he knows is that she's gone off to mexico with this new guy they've come back they're all weird he's questioning why the door's locked why is this why is the zodiac killer here right. um you know where's claire going you know, why is Gina doing cocaine? Uh, what is this video we're watching? And like everybody's. Did acting. I see a girl with no pants on earlier? Right, right. It's you know, it's just and you know, all people were drinking, so it's just it's just it's just kind of this party that's not quite out of control, but just you know, very uncomfortable, tense situation the whole time. And he's he keeps every, trying to get away, but yeah, every and, time, yeah, and the doors are locked, and every step of the way, he's questioning everything to the point where people are coming out one by one and right. saying, "Just relax, right. yeah, calm down." They don't see what he's seeing for some reason, right? But did everybody else saw the video of the woman dying? Right? Yeah, everybody heard the weird person. Yeah, there, and, yeah, there's nothing terribly subjective about what he's seeing. The doors are locked. Um, Claire did leave. The video did show a woman, you know, presumably get murdered or or die. Die. Rather. Um, they are in a cult. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, they're in the Hollywood Hills. Um, so it, it's kind of funny. I'm not making fun of this movie at all. It's it, The movie knows what it's doing. Right. It's, it's just it's fun to play this sort of thought experiment as right. far as how quickly would you be gone from this party? Well, and I say like I would be gone, but I don't know. Cause yeah, I, get, I give in to peer pressure really well. I do too, Chris. <laughs> they, nobody mean, would lead my daughter's Girl Scout troop. And so I said, 
sure, I'll do it. And now I've, this is my fifth year doing it. I'm still stuck doing it. I have boxes of cookies in my garage because I can't. In my garage. That's true. Yeah. By the way, don't forget your cookies. <laughs> okay. Please don't let me forget yeah. them. Also, I mean, like, here's how I see it coming out. I watched the video where the woman dies, and I'm a little bit upset. And then Mike Wisman says, right. hey, do you want to open the bottle of wine? And then I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I totally see it. And you're in a beautiful house. You get to go outside and look at the pool. And yeah. the... Maybe I'm looking at Gina and she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, Coke? <laughs> <laughs> and so I can see how that plays out. Uh, and maybe the video was fake. Is this a strange prank? Let's see where this, you know, let's see where this goes. Well, and your girlfriend wants to stay. So you're trying to be But she's only want, she only wants to stay because she thinks you want to. Yes. Yeah. But it's yeah, very it's, well done. It's, it's very, very well done. Yeah. But I like when they go, when they're kind of like, I don't know if you've kind of noticed when they were like just like chit-chatting or just it was like background sound. It really seemed like normal, like chit-chat. Like they would kind of yeah. say things to try and be funny that wasn't really funny or it seemed like it was real, the which kind of, of reminded me of Joe Swanberg. Do you like his movies? Joe Swanberg? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, he has like my favorite movies like Drinking Buddies. No. Happy Christmas. No. Just silence from this end. <laughs> I think the best example of that, not the Swanberg thing, so I don't know what you're talking about. Because I made of, it up, right? Right. One of your things, but one of the sort of normal kind of bullshit conversation is the Ben character. Uh-huh. Who just sort of there, like my in my nightmare, like I'm Ben, like just sort <laughs> of the, like the fifth wheel. Right. Uh, who just sort of. You know, has nothing. Nobody but, really wants there. Yeah, and just nothing but seemingly nothing but negative, kind of sarcastic, annoying things to say. Um, he's a certain type at a party. He doesn't really seem to be having a good time. He does get to make out with um, Gina. Right. No, Eden. Oh, right. Yeah. Gina wouldn't do that. Yes. Poor Ben. Oh, but then um, Sadie just kisses Gina. Remember? Well, of course, Sadie does. Yeah. Well, well yeah, but that's, I mean, oh, that's yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, she's got a boyfriend. Yeah. And she didn't ask for that. She didn't know you. Yeah. Anyway, just because it's girl on girl doesn't mean that it's okay and it's cute. But I think Gina kind of gets that. Yeah, Because she she kind of says, you know, okay. You know, you can tell she's a little bit bothered by it. But the the same impulse that makes her say, let's do cocaine. Right. Makes her kind of go with it. Because she, I think she kind of wants to be the fun girl at the party a little bit. Yeah. Everybody's playing their role. Yeah. And I feel like she's playing that role. Yeah. Ben is just kind of playing the annoying asshole guy yeah. that maybe has been friends with everybody. Yes. Uh, kind of schlubby. That's probably why they got rid of his partner, you know, on a screen line. Right. Because it works better if he's just sort of there. What did, you, did you watch a documentary on this or something? No, I was just, I was on IMDb. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not deep research or anything. Okay. So then uh, we see some things like Eden put some pills away. He finds the pills. He So people know he's snooping. So people know that he's kind of, they don't know if he's losing yeah, he's it He's kind what. of just walking by rooms and staring into them. <laughs> well, apparently you can see everywhere into this house. Right, yeah. He gets the voicemail from Troy. Yes. Because apparently there's no service up there, of course. This is how another thing they have to do in movies nowadays. Because everybody has cell phones. They have to figure out different ways. Either they, you can't find your charger, or the battery dies, or there's no service. Yeah. So there's no service up there in the hills. They didn't get the phone line, whatever. In L.A., yeah. There's no service there. Right. And uh, so he gets the voicemail from Troy saying that Troy was there. He's right outside the house. So this is when Will, is like, as My Favorite Murder says, he's going to fuck politeness. <laughs> and he goes up there and he's yeah, just like, out, yeah. and he's just like, where's Troy? Where's Troy? Yeah, where the fuck is Troy? Yeah. And everybody's just like, 
Well, shh. And then I thought that serving the gravy and (laughs) that food looks so good. (laughs) But and then cooking. Do they show who's cooking? I guess it was probably David and Eden. I guess maybe they'd already done it ahead of time. It seems like they may have had it catered. Maybe. I can't imagine her cooking anything. Yeah. That wasn't just lace with L. Steve or something. <laughs> this was the only thing that kind of, I mean, what are the chances that the, the time that he blows up about Troy, then Troy shows up? Yeah. Although I will say when Troy showed up, I did kind of gasp. Yes. Like, it so, is. Yeah, you're right. It, it is, is great. It is kind of funny. It's, it works. And he seems fun. He likes a little ponytail, Troy. He seems a lot of fun. And yeah. and, and at that point, I, I thought, well, maybe this movie is not going the way I'm thinking it's going. Right. I mean, the first time I watched it, obviously. Like, I don't know how seriously I thought that because I must have known something about the movie. I think you recommended it to me, so I knew that it was probably not happy in there. <laughs> but that's the idea. It's like, okay, maybe Will's crazy. Maybe it's – you know, right. You know, he obviously he, has issues. He killed the coyote. Or maybe he's the one that's going to flip or, you know, turn bad or whatever. Maybe but. he's the witch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then even um, Pruitt volunteers to go get him a – get Troy a plate of food. I mean, he just way that too was comfortable weird. there. Yeah, that was weird. Because I, I remember when he comes back up the stairs, I'm like, what does he have? I thought it'd be like an axe or something. Oh, like sometimes – even when I've been places a long time – I mean, I still, it's hard to feel comfortable there. You still want to ask, can I get this? Can I get that? I think I would still ask. I mean, I might not ask you. I don't know. But I kind of go through your fridge and yeah, get whatever. Yeah, pretty free with the wine, really. <laughs> <laughs> but then so, and then Will kind of has like a mini breakdown. And he's like, oh, maybe I was wrong. And he, that's when he goes into his um, son's room. And we kind of see it, it through his eyes of what it looked like. And he lays down in bed with his pubescent son yeah the 12 year old yeah who was supposed to be four but then the bedroom is actually an office when we see it it's in his imagination as his own room and so we see that he pulls daria naharis's laptop out and that's when he sees the final video that the right. cult leader gave them yeah. and he was like okay maybe i am right kind of has this heaven's gate vibe to it you know we're kind of like a dharma initiative video that it remind me of it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And so then he's like, okay, maybe I was right. And he goes out and he can tell. So when he goes back out, Pruitt comes and gets him. He like knocks on the door. Come on, Will. Yeah. Like, why would you not send one of his friends? Anyway. So then the, he's there. I think Pruitt just kind of has his eye on everything. Yeah. I think maybe he's the boss. Even the boss of Michael Hussman. Oh, maybe. Like he's sort of like a supervisor. I, like I, what I imagine <gasps> is like yeah. all these houses where all these things are happening. Spoiler alert. Have like like Dharma Initiative like bosses or something that are coming to make sure things go okay. Right. They all have a Ben Linus. Yeah. They have to make sure these guys fall through. Okay. So that's how I see his role. Yes. And so, but then Will kind of looks around and he sees that something's not right. Um, Eden seems nervous. She gives David, what's his, to David? Yeah. A big kiss. I'm going to look at my nose. <laughs> <laughs> David. and so he knows that something's not right and he knocks everybody's glass out and then that's when the pretty much you thought about the pills yes and it pretty much uh goes crazy from there right because sadie like everyone else is playing it kind of cool like oh you know will what are you doing sadie goes immediately insane and you ruined it and you kind of yeah she ruined it uh it was gonna be perfect um and she lunges at i guess she lunges at will right and he pushes her, and she falls and hits her head, just like the Zodiac Killer's wife, like Pruitt's wife. Oh, oh, 
Wow. Okay. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but Good it call, is. Yeah. So they think, well, uh, that's in their heads, right? So they think, yeah. oh, she just fell and hit her head and she's right. dead. But as she's bleeding to death and right. Miguel goes to, you know, I'm a nurse or I'm right. a doctor, it goes to help her out. And then that's when. Well, someone says she's not breathing. Yeah. And he says, no, she is. And he says, no, Gina. And Gina oh, right, right. is yeah. uh, foaming at the mouth because yeah, yeah. she drank the poison. She's the first one, the only one that drank and the so poison. And so he starts working on her, and that's when Pruitt shoots him in the back. Right, okay. And then yeah. you're like, I had it wrong. Yeah. so then you're like, oh, okay, now we know. And, and then yeah. Pruitt walks away just about the same way I assume the Zodiac killer walked away from his murders. Yeah. Just like cool as a cucumber. But the, the funny thing is, like, you know, it's already going wrong. Like the, the idea is they're all supposed to drink their wine. Right. And they're all supposed to foam in the mouth like Gina. Right. And that would be it. Yes. But so Pruitt is probably like, God damn it. Right. You know, I'm, I mean, it's funny. He probably He's gone. like, oh, the boss is going to hear about this. Yeah, yeah. So everything that happens after the gunshot is, you know, in air. You know, right. It's, it's clean up. It's, well, or I guess, you know, another way of looking at it is like, well, here's another way of doing it. Right. <laughs> I was murder all of you. Um, but it's not the way it's supposed to go. But then Logan is like, boy, do I hate being right all the time. Right. Is that what he says? Yeah. And he actually just kind of steers in, in horror in a long slow motion shot. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty brutal scene. And, and also, you know, it's not lost. The sort of gun violence of it all, mm-hmm. you know, it this day and age, it's, it's a little bit makes it a little bit more troubling. But they're also stabbing. There's beating. But yeah, the stabbing's very misogynist. Well, I thought it was interesting because it starts out like they're obviously referencing cults, famous cults. There's clear references to Manson and then to Jonestown with them poisoning the yeah, yeah, what very, they're drinking. Yeah. So it starts out as supposed to be like Jonestown. But also heaven but it and turns, I'm thinking about that a lot. Yeah. yeah, but they did that on purpose. Like they all wanted to do it. But but in but in uh David and what's your face's minds, that's kinda what they're yeah, but I think that's what they want. I think in Heaven's Gate, like everybody was wanted right. to do it, but in Jonestown, it was more like murder. Okay. But anyway, I mean, you're right. It is the same, the same sort of thing. But Thank it turns you. into the Manson murders. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yes, there's, there's even like a scene when I think Ben gets thrown out into the lawn, like, like Abigail Folger was, and you know, it's just very similar. There's beating, there's stabbing, right. there's it's and it's chaos. In the Hollywood Hills. You yes. can't really ignore that. Yes, um, but and there's nothing supernatural in this movie. No. Which is pretty scary. Yeah, there, there's no supernatural thing at all. Is this the first movie we've done that's not supernatural? Oh, arachnophobia. <laughs> the ghost spiders. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Kira beats the shit out of Twisty the Clown. Right. Which is pretty cool. What did she Remember we were like, what did she hit him with? Was it a wine bottle? I think so. Yeah, well, I think it was one of his expensive wine bottles. Okay. And then um, Eden shoots Will. And then she feels really bad, so she shoots herself in the stomach. Right. And we were talking about why do you think she shot herself in the stomach of all places? Well, not to get too dark about it, but I kind of wondered, like, maybe is she pregnant? Well, I thought, I mean, that's what I thought. I thought, is that because that's where babies come from and that's where her baby was? Because whenever she's dying and she looks up at Will and says, I miss him so much, it made me cry. It killed me. Because if I lost one of my kids... I could definitely see, or if my only kid, that was a weird sound, <laughs> or my only kid, then I could definitely see like joining a cult 
and maybe going that far, you know, if the, if the grief was that bad. Yeah, I mean, you I could hope really it won't be the first thing he did. What? I hope it won't be like the first thing he did. No, you're right. Get some counseling first, and then then Daria Naharis gets stabbed in the chest, and yeah, I mean, it's it's an orgy of violence. Yes. it's very well done. It's it's it kind of again, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the structure and uh, and the filmatic style of Get Out. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have a very kind of mannered. Uh, right. intense sort of um, psychological horror movie or is it a horror movie up to a point and then like the last 20 minutes it's just non-stop violence yeah very much yeah so those two movies I guess those two movies remind me uh, I mean they're miles apart as far as what they talk about right um, I think that's maybe just a new way of thinking about horror movies these days is I guess it's probably a, you know you know just the way just that maybe the directors are influenced by and right you know Seldom, you know, common cause amongst the sort of generation of filmmakers, but yes. Oh, and one other thought I had is that um, Eden definitely would have buried her son up in the McMack burial grounds for sure. Yes, I think Will would have too. Yes, I definitely think so. And so, Eden's last words were, I hope, I hope we. What do you think she meant by that? I hope, I hope we. Yeah, she said, I hope, I hope we. I didn't know if it meant, does she mean she hopes she sees her son again? She hopes they all see each other again? She hopes they did everything I kind of right? took it as like, yeah, like, I hope this worked, you know, because in her mind, they're all going to die that night. Or did they do everything right for their son? I mean, I don't know. It could have been anything. Yeah, I, I see it more as on a surface level, like, I hope this plan right. worked. Whatever she thought would happen, you know, like, like you know, in a way, like, 9-11 Bomber, kind of talking about nine eleven a lot of this episode, <laughs> but you know they thought that right. they would have seventy two virgins when they woke up in heaven, right? Whatever these crazy people think they're going to happen, she hopes it worked. Okay, which I sense is like I hope we're all together in this sort of experiment. Who knows? And then it's then we see the red lantern, and then there's the big giant reveal. Oh, and also we should say Tommy survives. Yeah, he well, kills yeah, Tommy. Yeah, Tommy ends up killing. Who does he kill? He kills Will, um, David. Oh, stabs okay. him. Yeah, yeah. And then well, Kira David, and Will. Well, so David shot Miguel. Miguel. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't uh, John Carroll Lynch. Yeah, yes, David shot Miguel, okay, and that, then and that's why. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he could have killed him anyway, but that's, he he seemed to take it kind of personally. So yes, and so, so yeah, he survived. I, I was happy to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super, I'm glad it wasn't just one surviving or just the couple. Yeah, there's a few that survived. Yeah. Yeah, but then so they look over and they see all the red lamp lanterns, right. which is super effective. But then um, you hear police sirens, you hear dogs barking, you hear gunshots and screaming. Oh my gosh, it's so scary, yeah. and so you the, can. Imagine like because they said like there's um, there's chapters in New York, L.A., who knows where else, you know. Oh, yeah. so you got to think about the next day. Yeah. Sure, there was one in Atlanta. Helena. Yep. You wouldn't really see me lanterns here. I guess just across the street. But... Right. Oh yeah, that's a good point. That wouldn't look so great. Just hello. <laughs> and then the the ending song was so good. It was a song by. An artist named Laura Marling, who I haven't heard before, but I've been listening to a lot. It was a song called "Devil Spoke," and and it was it just ended it so good. So, do you have a um, like a take on what? And I hate to do this, but just kind of you know, this movie isn't really easy to, to really grasp in a way, right? Um, those, do you have a take on what this movie's about exactly? Like, 
we didn't really talk about the whole reason of the invitation. The reason they started this cult is because each person had lost somebody close to them, which is similar to the village. You know, how in the village, everybody had lost, so they just decided to get together. And so I don't know if it was, I mean, I think that there's more to it that I could understand. Like, But to me, it seemed like it was more about grief. And so you get together with all these other people who are in so much pain. And I just don't think that that. And, and see, I mean, secretly, not like in a grief counseling sort of way, but this was in a, th- this is a cult. You're you're being led by a fanatic person, we're presuming, this guy, this Dharma Initiative guy. And so when you have all those people who have that much grief and they all get together with a guy who says they can help them, then he can control them and get them to do whatever they want. But No, I think that's, I think that's right. Like, if, if I had to guess, I mean, I think it's similar, but... And it's a similar theme to our favorite movie, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> What's that? Which is well, it's a it's a incorrect way to respond to grief or to your emotions generally, right? Which is in this movie, it seems to be, and again, I think it's a little bit of a satirical way of looking at it. But these people bury down anything real about their emotions to such a level that the only way they can kind of deal with it is to sort of in a passive aggressive way. You know, through, you know, like deflection and like uh, making everything kind of funny or a joke mm-hmm. or or whenever, like, for instance, Will was having honest emotions about the death of his kid, that's seen as like a bad thing that should be sort of, you know, put aside. Right. It's kind of like if you did you watch uh, Six Feet Under? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Remember, like, uh, the first episode where, you know, their dad dies. Uh-huh. Spoiler. <laughs> and uh, what's the main? Nate. Yes. Nate has this sort of epiphany about how no one was responding correctly to their dad dying. Like everybody's very sort of calm and like a, I don't know, very sort of Yankee kind of Connecticut buttoned down about it. Mm-hmm. And he's as an example of how he felt people correctly to respond was he remembered going to some island right. off of the coast of Greece or something, right. and there's a funeral and people were just wailing, just just complete, you know, abject yes. grief. And that was somehow a more correct way. I'm not saying that's how you're supposed to respond to grief. But in this movie, like, there's actually a line where um, there's Claire's line before she leaves, which is, this is making me feel all a little bit uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what she's talking about is the video where someone just got murdered. Right. But also it could be seen as her commenting on the whole sort of, you know, let's not to get too honest with our emotions about death and whatever. Right. Okay, now I'm going to tell you a true crime. Now, what do you think the true crime might be about? Well, I mean, my first thought would be a Manson crime, but you've already kind of told me in this very podcast that probably won't be. Right. Okay. So Helter Skelter is, I love that book. I probably read it about three times. Most people do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm very excited for the Quentin Tarantino movie, which I I think you I'm said... I'm sure he's going to do it delicately. There you go. That's, that's what you said. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be very subtle, very right. little blood, I think is what you said. Right. Um, <laughs> Although, you know, I've heard that it's less about the Manson murders than one might think. Hmm. Like, maybe it's more about... I mean, it is called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, yeah. I mean, just the whole story of Manson living on that farm with the old producer or whatever is very interesting, so... My idea is that maybe it's more about the culture and the right the L.A. of it all that sort of led to the Manson murders. Well, I what I want I will think that sometime when the trailer comes out, 
I think we should watch it and talk mm, about it and yeah. do a mini so. So let's not talk too much about it. Okay. Okay. So, no, I mean, the two obvious ones like we kind of talked about were Manson, Jonestown, and Heaven's Gate. I didn't do any of those. They're very, they're everywhere. So passe. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Jonestown is also amazing. There's a, a great book called A Thousand Lives. There's the book Raven, which what the new Vince Gilligan show is going to be based on, which is going to be on HBO. So there's tons of information coming out about that. The podcast Case is File. About, is that about Jonestown? Yeah, it's about Jim Jones. Oh, so Vince Vilgan has a show on Jim Jones coming out. Yes. Oh, I didn't even know this. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. And then Case File has a really great three-part episode about Jonestown. So listen to that because I'm not going to tell you about it. Or you can actually go and listen to... Hey, we're not here to advertise other podcasts, all right? But Case File's so good. Everybody okay. knows that. All right. But then there's also the real Jim Jones audio tapes you can go listen to if you want to not sleep. So go look those up. What's okay. he talking about? Like it's actually when it's happening. Oh. It's, oh. Yes. Like like when their deaths are happening? Yes. He's talking to them as they're dying. He recorded it? Yes. Wow. I remember listening to it at work and like actually feeling cold, even though it was not cold. Like I, was your work broadcasting? <laughs> <laughs> this is the claim center? Like Yes. I was well, I was illegally a, listening to okay, it. Okay, and not like a motivational speech. <laughs> wow. All right, so actually, this is it's funny how I came about this cult. I was, um, I, I learned about it from a fellow comic. I was on a show with this girl, and she did a bit about almost being kidnapped by this cult in her hometown of Arkansas. So I, and so after her set, I told her she was great, but then I said, but I need to know about this cult. <laughs> and she was like, uh, well, it was a real cult. You can look it up. The guy's name's Tony Alamo. She said that she was almost kidnapped by them. She also mentioned that they had like a huge building and I think it had like a roller coaster in it, something crazy. I don't remember. But so I was like, I got to go look that up. Let's start with who Tony Alamo is. Tony Alamo was born Bernie Lazar Hoffman in 1934. I didn't think about this, but he starts out in L.A. Okay. Just like the invitation. He moved to L.A. in the 60s wanting to become a music promoter. He's also like a singer, an ad man. He wanted to be... This is very Manson-y already. Yes. He wanted to be a crooner. So he changed his name to Tony Alamo because he thought it sounded more Italian. He wanted to be like an Italian crooner. Yeah. Kind of like Charles Manson wanted to be a beach boy. Yes. So he met his future wife, who was Edith Opal Horn. She was also, I think, an actress in L.A. Sharon Tate. Yes. Except... She's not good. Sharon Tate's not good? No, this girl. <laughs> I was like, mean. <laughs> no, Sharon Tate's awesome. Okay. You know, I've never seen a Sharon Tate movie. I, I haven't either. She seems like a really interesting person. Yeah. Uh, there was a movie coming out about, there's a few. Like, you know, there's another one coming out where Hilary Duff plays Sharon Tate. <laughs> which I know. And there's another one where Kate Bosworth plays Sharon Tate. But it's Sharon Tate's life up to the murders. Like, they don't actually show the murders. Well, good. But yeah. Kate Bosworth, isn't she like my age? Well, I mean, I, I, how old was Sharon Tate? When she died? Yeah. She was young. She was like 26. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying. You look very young. Thank you. That's I like that idea, though. Like, it's not about our death. It's about our life. Yeah. So they changed their names, I guess, together, actually. So Tony changed his name to Tony Alamo, and she changed her name to Susan Alamo. They got married twice in Tijuana and once 
in Las Vegas for some reason. I don't know. I wanted to make sure it stuck. <laughs> Susan had like bleach blonde hair that she like wore like up in a bouffant. This is in the 60s? Yes. Okay. And so they started, like, I guess they were still working kind of in the entertainment industry. Then they started to become street evangelists. How do you say that word? Evangelicals? Yes. In L.A. So street, like they were just like on the street handing out pamphlets and things like that. Uh, well, I was running the other day at a park near my house. It was like 11 a.m., there's nobody there except maybe like one guy walking his dog, right? I come around the corner. There's a guy in a full suit with a like a little portable stand of pamphlets about God and church. There's like nobody else around. It was very creepy. Did you pretend like not to see him as he jogged by him? Or I you... jogged. I just ran faster. And I just ran like the devil <laughs> was chasing me. Did he say anything to him? He kind of smiled. Was this the same day you saw a snake? No. Because that would be cool. Like maybe you <gasps> saw him. Yes. And then you saw a snake. But I did see him one day, and I saw a snake the other day. I almost touched that snake. Yeah. I'm you sorry. Put that I'm on our sorry. website. You're, also... like, you're sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you sent that to me. I sat. I stood there, and I waited until he crossed the road to make sure a bike didn't bother him. That wasn't nice of you. Yes. Did I tell you about the snake in my neighborhood? No. So I was riding my bike on the path in my neighborhood, uh-huh. and there's a girl. Where's that path go? We don't know. Um, but there's a girl about, you know, our age, and she was pushing her baby buggy, mm-hmm. and she goes, there's a snake behind us, and I peeled out, turned around, and pedaled away, <laughs> leaving her and her baby just to whatever fucking fate. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I felt bad, like, hours later, but, oh I, you know, I've ridden by, by there later. There's no, like, skeletons or anything. <laughs> there's no, like, desecrated bodies. <laughs> right, right. I did feel bad. I could have said, hey, do you need a ride? But A ride. She seemed fine. She's fine. What am I going to do? The snake's not going to bother her, unless you bother it. So in 1969, they started their own church, the Alamo Christian Foundation. And by the mid-70s, they had thousands of followers who called themselves Jesus Freaks, which is interesting. That became a... Remember them in the... DC talk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's like a thing. In the 2000s, that became a big thing again. How'd that song go? Well, no, but I, I think DC Talk was like trying to reclaim it, like it's a good thing. Ah. Jesus Freaks is like, you know what? Well, you know, Ellen John, that song. Uh, yes. Jesus Freak, you know. But so, but they started calling themselves that. Well, good. But then I guess, I, I guess it did take a turn. And, uh, so the church was super strict, harsh well, rules. You know Maybe that's where Ellen John got that from. Yeah, I know. That's interesting. Jesus Freaks out on the streets. Yeah, they're in LA. Wow. Okay. Bernie Taupin would have done it, not right. And of course, just like any good cult, they targeted homeless people, drug addicts, hippies, you know, people who who are in need. Manson targeted women or young, young girls who had run away from home, uh, which is a pretty terrible thing. Uh, did you watch The Wild Wild Country on Netflix? I saw the first two episodes, mm. then I forgot it existed, but oh. I, I really liked it. Yeah, I, it's I, really good. Yeah, you know, it was just one of those things, but... Um, I mean, they took that to another level. They bust in homeless people. I don't think I got to the okay. level where it was crazy. I got to the level where it's just you know, odd. Yeah, you got to get to it. Um, so they asked them to take a vow of poverty, shun their family. Marriages were arranged. Susan would decide how many kids they would have and how many. There were creepy things called Ask Susie's, where you had to like write a note to request everything from underwear to going to the doctor. There was no books. 
Sounds fun, right? I feel like we could start a cult. Easily. A good one, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have all these rules. People like rules. They do. We could have, I was going to say kids like rules. We could have kids. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just be some Pied Pipers. <laughs> they sit live on air. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are actually mine. <laughs> right. But I so, have no children. <laughs> so the police start to investigate the Alamos for tax evasion, things like that. So they move from L.A. to Arkansas, and they start building their compound. In Arkansas? Yes. They uh, Another evil thing they did was that they recruited, recruited young single women who wanted abortions by trying to get them to keep their babies so that way they could have them. <laughs> so, like, they would... <laughs> have the babies for what? To raise them oh. as their own. Oh. So they would take, they would let the, the tell the mothers they could come, they would feed them, they'd clothe them. But when you have the baby, we keep the baby and you have to leave. What would they want the babies? Just to... To, They want the babies to raise them, to turn them into. Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it does seem like a lot of work. <laughs> like they're just taking on extra responsibility. That's true. It's a terrible cult. So the followers worked 16 to 20 hours a day, lived a life of poverty, while Alamo lived in a mansion with a heart-shaped pool. You can actually see it on Google. In Arkansas? Yeah. Okay. You can see it on Google still, the heart-shaped pool. It's stone. Uh, He drove a Cadillac. He also claimed that Pete Bess gave him unreleased Beatle tapes. He even tried to convert Elvis. Is is this the thing you played me recently? Yes. And so I'm going to play these for Elise. And see if she, what she says about whether these are Beatles. Uh, so they started to get a lot of money, set it up, set up church all over the country, Chicago, New York. Then they also had country western stores. Then this is where it gets really interesting, Chris. Are you ready? They started making fancy jackets. So these jackets were usually jean jackets. They had like airbrushing, uh, like those fake crystals on them. They were uh, really very 80s. Like rhinestones? Yes. Guess who wore these jackets? Celebrities? Yes. Who? Dolly Parton. Madonna. Madonna? Prince. Burt Reynolds. The one, don't look at my notes, the one that Michael Jackson's wearing on the cover of Bad is a Tony Alamo of Nashville jacket. Fuck you. Are it you is. That yes. is amazing. Isn't it? How do you know that? Because the, the, it's true. So he was doing this cult through the 80s? Yes. Or that he was wearing a retro jacket? No. He was still making these up into the 80s. And all the people who were making these jackets were his followers. They were not being paid. They were working 16 to 20 hours. They were not being... Um, treated correctly. So he was also getting in, investigated for tax evasion, for not paying his employees, but he was still making millions of dollars by selling these jackets. Uh, uh, recently, they came back in fashion. Miley Cyrus, Nicki Minaj, Francis Bean Cobain have all been seen wearing them. So do they, do they know like his story? I hope not. I hope they just thought it was a cool retro jacket. Francis Bean Cobain may know his story. Because have you read her Twitter? No. She's smart and she likes, you know, she's a little bit morbid. Um, so maybe they I could. Like her but a I lot. mean, like they, so they would work these, but they also the kids had to work this labor too. The kids were they they used their little fingers to make them put in the little rhinestones 
and the Savarsky, whatever you call them, the crystals, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. I've never heard that. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Um, so then in 1982, his wife dies of breast cancer, Susan. Tony thought that she was going to be resurrected, so he kept her dead body in a glass case in the middle of the ministry and made his followers pray over it 24 hours a day, thinking that she was going to come back to life. I mean, that's, you know, devoted. I mean. And the, the woman, the girl I saw doing the stand-up also said that he, I guess, apparently drove around with her dead in his car. And so this guy tried to abduct her? His ministry. His ministry. Yes, because we'll get to that. Okay. Then he finally, they finally said, you can't keep her here anymore. Okay? She's starting to smell. So they had to, they put her in a mausoleum. He broke into the mausoleum and broke her out. And they had to come and get her and then put her back in there and tell her no. I think it's very romantic. You I mean, keep... it's like Jack and Rose. <laughs> I was thinking about uh, Tom Petty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Mary yeah. Jane's Last Dance. Yeah. Um, so he died again. Basinger was so good in that video. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's just so good. I loved her. When I, like, she was like, when I first saw her in Batman, I think she kind of ruined things for me. And I was like, oh, that's what women should look like. <laughs> right. So there's no hope. For me. And she, again, also, he would have definitely buried her in the Micmac burial grounds if he had the chance. All right. But, so you're going to stop feeling sorry for him because when he, when she didn't come back to life, he blamed his followers and he became more abusive uh, physically, emotionally to all of his followers. Then he starts to abuse young girls in the church. When you say abuse, you mean. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. He rapes girls as young as nine. And then has at least 10 wives, all under the age of 15. So is this after, like, he's selling the jackets? It's all going on, like, as this is going on. Okay. So. I'm just trying to figure out what Michael Jackson knew. I, well, I don't think. I mean, he had his own issues. Listen, we can't really let him off the hook. I'm not sure when that all came to light. Yeah. But so, but this will kind of, um, kind of figure out later once we start figuring out these dates and when he starts getting arrested for things, because he does. Um, he's still using his followers for free labor. He's not paying taxes. And one article, it said he was worth about $9 million in 1983, which would be $23 million today, which I love figuring that out. I always do that in Mad Men. I'd be like, oh, Ryan, yeah. this is that much. And he'd yeah. be like, shh, Pete's talking. Anyway. Yeah, like, like I'll look up old like uh, legal awards. Like right. in 1980, like someone got $20,000. I'm like, that doesn't seem like that much. Right. But you look it up and yeah. it's like, I don't know, $80,000. Right. Um, but then another article, there was a People article from 1983, actually, and it said that he was worth 25 million, which means he would be worth 65 million. And that was an actual article that I saw from 1983, so I go with that one. But I mean, could it be that he just saying like, who's accounting for all this money? Because like well, Donald Trump says he's worth a lot of money, and not to get all political, but... Well, I mean, the IRS is investigating him. They're right. saying you owe these taxes, and he's trying to evade it. So, I don't know. But he had... So, he had over 30 businesses. He had over 30 businesses, plus his jackets, and he was failing to pay taxes. He Just in Arkansas, he had a gas station, a restaurant, and a, I mean, everything, like, in that area, he pretty much owned. But there's also ways to hide... To hide, um... Debts. I don't but think... But he also wasn't pay, paying any of his followers. He wasn't paying for any labor... 
nobody like all the people that worked in his restaurants and everything. So you think okay, so you think he was just as rich then? As, I mean, there's no doubt about this. I guess is what you're saying. He was a rich man. Yes. Okay. We could be not as rich as you saying. I know where the story was going, but okay. So that's not that's a red herring. Red herring. So he's on the run for tax evasion, child abuse, unfair labor practices, but people were still buying his jackets. So people were aware of what was going on. Now, I don't know if this... So this says in 1989... That's mm, well after bed. There was an article about Alamo. I'm sorry, Alamo. It's spelled Alamo. Isn't that crazy? Well, you so said Alamo earlier. He changed... But he changed his name to what you look at, you think it's Alamo, oh, but it, yeah. he wants you to pronounce it Alamo. Anyway. Um, so he was, in 1989, he was 54... He was on the run from child abuse charges for beating an 11-year-old with a paddle so badly that he had to go to the hospital. He beat him over 140 times with a paddle. They had like a paddle that they would beat people with. and It was called like the Board of Education. Isn't that funny? And it said something about um, that lie. I think it's from the Bible. The, spoil the child. Yeah, spare the rod and spoil the child. Right. Um, this guy was... I mean, besides just being a terrible person and a pedophile, and he took out full type, full ads in the L.A. Times to print his crazy manifestos about the IRS, about women, about gays. He was just a really terrible what person. What do you have against gays? He didn't like them. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. So they didn't catch him until 1991. When Michael Jackson called them and said, hey, guys. <laughs> But he only served six months for not playing his employees. Then in 94, he was arrested for tax evasion. He was sentenced for six years, but only served four. He went back to his child brides because he's a piece of shit. Then finally, it took until 2007 when one of his child brides contacted the FBI. She was kidnapped when she was just eight years old. And then they... um, He actually kidnapped her? Yes. And then they... I think they came. They did. They came from bad families because that's what they do. They prey on people who need help. Or another woman. Because I watched a um, an ID documentary about it. Another woman. Her mom came into the cult because they had nothing, and just gave her to him. So it's all very sad situations all around. So, but then they started building a case because when he crossed the state lines with his child brides, they could charge him for trafficking sex trafficking yeah so they were able to um they traced his cell phone they finally were able to arrest him and then his poor child brides had to testify against him they they had a quite a few of them in this documentary i saw and they they were much stronger women than i think i could be so so he was convicted in 2008 sentenced to 172 years in prison but he served only seven because he died at the age of 82. Mm. So at least he's dead. And you can still join this cult. Good. Well, um, you say you watch a documentary. Is is the documentary something like on Netflix or something? Or? It was just on like the ID channel. So this is the oh, crazy. The yeah. you, you, once I show this to you, Chris, you're just going to go down the rabbit hole. He um, he also owned a Wait, nightclub. Is this their website? Like, yes. No. He owned a nightclub in Arkansas that Bill Clinton came to to see Dolly Parton perform. There is still all of his crazy writings on here. You can look at all of them. There's photos. What, is that him? 
Yes, that's him and his wife. He does not look crazy at all. <laughs> There's audio that you can listen to. There's... Who's running this website? They're all of his followers still. Is that Waco? Yes. What does it say about Waco? I mean, just go through it, Chris. This will take you days to go through. There is so much crazy information. And then... Can I see his wife again? Yeah. That's about what I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, can't you see her, like, televangelizing? They also had a TV show. Stop zooming in on his face. It's scary. (laughs) Just his eyes. So that is the crazy story of the Tony Alamo Ministries church that you can still join well i've never heard of that but now you're never going to be able to look at the cover of bad well the there's same. a lot of reasons i can't look at the cover <laughs> that's bad. true the, the same i mean that's true yeah i mean that's like the least of the problems <laughs> <That's true. laughs> oh okay so this is just a few excerpts of the alleged unreleased beatles album that he says that pete best gave him here's one I mean, how? I mean, that's obviously Paul McCartney. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like all this, all that stock music we've been listening to, trying to figure out what to do. And then he has like fake, like doctored. It's almost like he like read about Charles Manson and thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. Just go all in on the Beatles and. I mean, it's crazy. It's, he was uh, he's around the same time though, so that's kind of yeah. All right, and so that just about does it for this podcast episode, right? It it does. Uh, I enjoyed it. Episode four. Yes. In the books. <laughs> and so until then, you know, if you enjoy listening to us, please just take a second and write and review on iTunes because we're on iTunes now. We're on Stitcher, Google Play. And then hopefully that will be any everywhere for everybody to listen to. If you have any suggestions about movies that we should watch, if you want to just tell us your favorite fairy, scary movies, fairy movies. Fair, fairy movies would be cool. Yeah. I love Tinkerbell movies. They are really good. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. What your favorite scary scenes are, or if you want to talk to Chris about any of his theories. The Connors. Or the Connors. Yeah. Fan fiction Connors. You know, send it straight to me. Then you can find us on Twitter at Sometimes Dead Four, Instagram, Sometimes Dead Podcast. You can email us at Sometimes Dead Podcast at gmail.com. And then we're even on Facebook. One of or yeah. you can always just come see Chris at his house. <laughs> he got a new poinsettia. I do have a fabulous poinsettia. Um, you can probably find me this week, if you're fast enough, by the load of branches in my front yard. <laughs> So just drive around Alabama until you find the load of branches. And a homeowners association agent in front of my house (laughs) with a clipboard, some sort of ticket thing. Yeah, violation, violation. What do they do? Do They They send you a letter. They don't fine you? They, some, it. it, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. Okay. No. (laughs) No. No, no, you're, yes, you're fine. Okay. I pay my dues. What can they do? Nothing. Right. Okay. Okay. But that's how you can find me. And so until then, um, bye. All right, good night.
so let me see where I stopped and then we'll go back to that. Can you play the Pet Cemetery song? <laughs> 